Morning, everybody. You seem like you're in a good mood. I know why. Because we made it. We made it to spring. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about some dark days just recently. I was sinking into very low places, you know. But yesterday, all of a sudden, life, human beings. I saw my neighbors. I was like, oh, I have neighbors. <laughs> I knew they were still alive because their dogs bark very early in the morning. And in my darker moments, I may have considered ways of getting rid of those dogs, you know, <laughs> sort of Tony Soprano style, you know. I'm kidding, you know, that's, <laughs> I love animals. I love animals, sort of. They're delicious. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I should write these things out before I, you know, say them out loud. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's spring. And how many of you came out to the Walk for Water yesterday? Anyone? Yes. Very successful event. Thank you very much for coming out. Very much appreciate it. Uh, you, there's still an opportunity. If you miss the Walk for Water but still want to donate to 20 liters, you can always do that online. So I want to encourage you to do that. Next week, we'll, we'll go over some of the numbers and uh, how successful it was and so forth. But appreciate it. It was good to see you outside in the sunshine. My uh, neighbor yesterday, one of them, he like had, a, had some sort of spring ADD moment. He was outside. I saw him painting his house. And I'm not making this up. He did about a four by six square and then kind of called it a day. So there's a nice little patch there. And then he proceeded to water his lawn. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, you know, uh, we've had some rain recently. I don't know if you uh, noticed. <laughs> I just, I just, I didn't say anything. I just let him have his time. Like, hey, man, hey, just watering. Okay. Anyway, it's good to, um, it's good to see you all. It's good to enjoy some nice weather. I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a series called Religion, Rites, and Rituals. And the idea is we want to explore what is religion, what does it do? What are the rites and rituals, the laws, that, the structures that make up our particular religion? In other words, why do we do what we do and where do these things come from? Are they helpful? Are they not helpful? Do they get in the way? Do they not get in the way? It's good to review some of these things, our religion, our rites, and our rituals. Last week was all about time, the sacredness of time. And I tried to connect these things to the rhythms and patterns of nature, the seasons. And the, the Jewish people begin to worship according to the seasons, honoring God for, for the times of the year. And then they connected that to their own story, the story of the Exodus. So leaving Egypt, going through the wilderness wanderings, receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai, they, they reenacted or relived this every year. And that's also what we do in the Christian calendar, except we connect it to the life of Christ. At, from Advent to Pentecost is our yearly rhythm as we relive the year of Christ. That time itself can be something sacred. To, to set apart a time, to call it sacred, to name reality in this sense, turns your heart toward God. These things are helpful. They can sometimes get in the way, as all sort of rites and rituals and laws can. That's true. But 
at least in terms of time, these patterns and seasons can help. And in, in my sermon last week, I said I want to do a whole week just on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is connected to time. It's an issue of time, sacredness of time, but it's just a little different than the calendar year. So I wanted to spend a week on it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are really recorded two times in the scriptures, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy. And they're a little bit different. They're worth sort of um, exploring. The language is a little bit, bit different in each of them. So I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Here are the instructions about the Sabbath, or Shabbat, as it's called in Hebrew. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, all the kids are like, yes, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, you were slaves and you didn't have a break. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here Deuteronomy connects the Sabbath to their own experience of slavery when they didn't have a choice, when they couldn't rest, when they couldn't take the day off, remember this time period in your past, and once a week, you're going to take a day off. And it's not just for you, it's for anybody, anybody in your territory, your slaves, foreigners, your children, your animals, they will all get a Sabbath day rest. And there aren't a lot of instructions about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. There are actually very few in the Bible. You're just instructed or invited to rest, to rest on this particular day. Now, what strikes me as interesting in this particular commandment is that it says at the beginning, six days a week you shall work. And this is often what's overlooked when we begin to think about the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? How do you keep the Sabbath? That kind of question, or those questions, have to be balanced first by talking a bit about work. Six days a week you shall work. Now, how do you feel about work? What is your relationship to work? Is work good or is work bad? We live in a society, in a culture, that looks forward to retirement, to not working. We talk a lot about our days off or our holidays. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, what is your relationship to work like? Is it good or is it bad? And if we ask that in any kind of biblical context, the answer is actually that work is good. If you go back to the story in Genesis, Adam is asked to do two things before the fall. In other words, before the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and leaving Eden... While he is in paradise, he is asked to work in the garden. Very interesting. Work is a part of paradise. And he's asked to name the animals. Both of those working and naming are part of this sort of pre-fall paradise 
picture. I mean, how many of you think about paradise as a place where you labor or work? We say, no, 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 that can't be. Paradise must be the absence of any kind of work. I don't know if that's quite the story coming up out of the scriptures. And in fact, if you want to go further with this idea, Adam and Eve, after they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and and God kicks them out of the garden, there's a curse. And oftentimes people say God cursed Adam and Eve. That is not what the text says. God curses the serpent and he curses the soil. And then he turns to Adam and says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to produce out of the ground, out of the cursed soil. And he says to Eve, you will experience pain in childbirth. Those are not curses from a technical point of view when you look at the story carefully. They're not curses. It's almost naming a reality. Life is going to require work and toil. And the same word is used both for working the ground and for child rearing, toil and labor. And you and I know from experience that when you work hard at something and accomplish something, when you go through the difficulty and the pain of childbearing and child rearing, you also experience blessing. It's almost because or through the pain that you experience some blessing. And that's very interesting. That's part of the human condition. Like it or not, six days a week you shall toil and labor. And it's not all bad. In fact, I don't think you can even begin to enjoy a Sabbath without also leaning into what work looks like. What is work? How do you do it? (laughs) How do you do a good job? How do you experience those successes out of your pain and toil? So my first point is actually just a positive statement about work, which tends to get a bad name in our particular culture. Now, when you first enter into a conversation with someone, you've never met them before, almost, this happened to me this week in fact, almost the first question, one or two questions besides what's your name, (laughs) is what do you do? Right? What do you do? Which is a question of labor, toil. I mean, you don't say to someone, what do you toil at? Okay? (laughs) But it is a question of what do you do? You know, what, how do you, what's your identity around work life? What do you produce? What do you make? How do you make money? How do you make a living? And those are very important questions. And that's often, those are some of the first things we want to know about someone. What they do. Life is about doing. But you do something in time. Correct? I mean, when else are you going to do it? <laughs> you have to do it. It's, it's embedded in time. And we have an uneasy feeling about time, don't we? Especially as you start to get a little bit older and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I see. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. The clock is ticking, we would say. And we have little phrases that remind us that time is precious. We don't want to waste it. The clock is ticking. We got to beat the clock. We have an uneasy feeling when it comes to time. We like it and we don't like it. It sort of haunts us. It gives us a sense of dread even from time to time. In fact, you can hear it sometimes when when you're talking about young people. You'll say to someone, he or she has potential. That's a time statement, right? You have potential, (laughs) but the clock is ticking. And at a certain point, your potential is going to run out. You know, if someone says to you, you have potential, and you're like 40, you know, problem, 
all right? <laughs> Potential is something connected to the clock, and we know that. Working, doing, and in fact, that's often one of the first things we come to in life. What should I do in life? What should I do with myself? What should I do with my time? See, time, six days a week, is a time for production, for making, for working, for subduing, for controlling. That's what we do with space. We control our environments. We manage our environments. All embedded in time. And that gives us a sense of who we are. A sense of identity and, and probably more importantly, a sense of purpose. I, I, I heard recently that Sunday night is the worst night of sleep for people like statistically. And that makes sense. I mean, your mind is already starting to move into work mode, production mode, doing. What do I need to do tomorrow? Or what did I fail to do last week that I'm going to have to own up to tomorrow? And the wheels begin to turn, managing and controlling. Now turn to Genesis chapter 2. I want to look at the first use of the word Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2. So my first point was work is good and it's also part of how we understand our own humanity. Working, laboring, toiling, that sort of thing. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 is the creation story. Six days of creation. God is working, bringing forth something, producing. What is it that you do, God? Well, I produce. I create the heavens and the earth. And then there is the, the story turns a bit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. Interestingly enough, God's relationship to time invites us into something. Six days a week, he worked. And on the seventh day, he rested. Why should we at least consider the Sabbath? Because it moves us into the divine. It's part of God's own life, resting and enjoying. Think about creating something amazing and then just enjoying it. That is a very important part of a full life, resting. Now, something interesting also happens here in the Hebrew. The word holy is the word kadosh. Kadosh is the word for holy. And the first time it's used in the Bible is in this particular passage. Now, typically, when you hear the word holy, you think of God. God is holy. Or you might think about the priests. They were supposed to be holy. Even God's people are supposed to be holy. It says in Exodus, be holy as I am holy. And sometimes we think about space as being holy, like a holy mountain. In fact, in... Uh, Greco-Roman mythology, Zeus lives on Mount Olympus. That's a holy place. Most ancient religions actually were connected to holy places, holy mountains, holy trees or rivers, geography. So we think about space as being holy. We can think about human beings 
as being holy, set apart, God as holy, but time? How can time be holy? What would make it holy? Just God decides, seventh day is holy. Boom, there it is. What is it about time that is holy? And the Bible is, I think, trying to communicate something here. The first mention of holiness has to do with a set of time. A chunk of time. One day a week. And by the way, the Sabbath, the seventh day, has nothing to do with nature. Last week I talked a bit about how the the calendar year of festivals is connected to the cycles of nature. And the lunar cycle and the rhythms of, uh, of nature. Not so with the Sabbath. It has nothing to do with nature. It's not connected to the lunar cycle. It has nothing to do if it's raining or if there's heat or if it's the fall or if it's the winter or the summer. It doesn't matter. The seventh day is set apart. One day a week, boom, there it is. And it's coming week after week, regardless of the seasons. And regardless of how you feel about it, God says this chunk of time is holy. And in fact, when we think about an experience of God, we experience God in time. I know that sounds like I'm not really saying anything that profound, but that's the only time we have. Now, when you're actually in the experience, you're in the moment. I realize that. But it's something embedded in time. In fact, it's more time-related than even space. We experience God in a moment of time. And once a week, God says, this chunk of time I'm going to call holy. I'm going to set it apart. It's sacred. You have to treat it differently. It's going to invite you into an experience of God in time. It's going to break your ordinary patterns, whatever those ordinary patterns are. Now, when I lived in Israel, the Sabbath was a part of the culture in Israel. Really, whether or not you were whether or not you were really religious didn't matter. It was sort of just built into the fabric. The buses didn't run. It was hard to get a taxi. Almost all of the stores were closed, grocery stores and, and restaurants. And when I think back to this time in my life, really this is the thing that I most miss from Israel, this weekly rhythm of taking a break. And in this sense, it wasn't even a choice so much on my part. We were almost sort of just walked into it, this weekly rhythm where you simply couldn't do certain things. There was a certain chunk of time. One of my rabbinic professors used to say, the Sabbath has kept the Jewish people more than the Jewish people have kept the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is kind of hard to keep. In fact, there are 39 different rules according to the rabbis that you have to follow in order to keep the Sabbath and not work. They're trying to define work, 39 different ways. And even in a modern day, it's even more complicated. In fact, every home in Israel um, or apartment has on the wall a little unit that will turn the lights on and off for you on the Sabbath so you don't have to work. (laughs) You can program it ahead of time, but then on the Sabbath, they come on and they go off. So it gets quite complicated, especially from a perspective of, of, of Judaism, keeping the Sabbath. But the point is, Even though that's difficult, it has kept the Jewish people. It's given them a sense of identity. Because holiness in time means you can go anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if you're in exile in Babylon, for example, or you live in Europe, or you live in America. This chunk of time gives you a sense of purpose and connects you to God, and it comes every week. The Sabbath in Judaism is the most important day of the week. Everything sort of looks forward 
to this day off because it's holy. Now, if life is about doing, managing, controlling, doing, producing, making, organizing, whatever the case may be, the Sabbath has a different kind of invitation. It's simply not about doing anything. It's about being. Being present to your own life. You cannot then be defined by what you do, make, produce, own, manage, control. One day a week, you're invited into just being, just enjoying. No more managing, no more controlling. The question of what do you do for a living doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Once a week, you're invited very simply to get off the treadmill. That's what the Sabbath is about. Once a week, you stop. No more managing, controlling, naming, working, so forth and so on. It's a day of rest. You just sit. You enjoy. You say, oh, what a waste of time. Exactly. <laughs> it's a waste of time. And why do we do it? Because God did it. There's something about experiencing the fullness of humanity with a balance of work and rest. If it's work all the time and you're only defined by what you do, you never get to experience the joy of just being. And probably the opposite of it is the case. If you're just all about, I'm just pure being. I don't need a job. Okay. No, you probably do. Okay. <laughs> There's something good also about six days a week. In fact, I don't think you can really enjoy the Sabbath if you haven't worked. If you haven't put in an effort for those six days a week and tried to do something, make something, produce something, I think it's that th those people who know how to work and also let go of work are probably the healthiest. You need both. It's about doing and being. Doing things and just being. <laughs> just enjoying. So, that's the invitation of the Sabbath. And speaking of treadmill, by the way, special shout out to the uh, YMCA, our our corporate sponsor for the morning. <laughs> Zero dollar joining fee. Okay. <laughs> now, there's another dimension to this conception of work that I think is worth exploring. Say avodah. That is one of the Hebrew words for work, avodah. It can mean toil. Labor, work, it even can mean slavery. In fact, at the, the beginning of the book of Exodus, this is the word that's used concerning the Jewish people and what they're doing in Egypt as slaves, working, avodah, they're working. Now, what's intriguing about this word is, first of all, Hebrew is, is a poor language, meaning one word can mean more than one thing. Poor in terms of vocabulary, there are not that many vocabulary words I mean, I'm talking about ancient Hebrew. Modern, modern Hebrew is a little bit different. But ancient Hebrew doesn't have that many vocabulary words, so one word can mean more than one thing. And that's what's going on with avodah. 
the word work also means worship. Like to worship God. Which is very interesting. First of all, it gives you a little taste. In a sense, even worshiping God is a kind of work, but a different kind of work. And the other thing I think is interesting about this is once a week, the Jewish people were asked to cease from working. Do not work. To stop working. But in the word itself, they're also reminded of the other meaning, which is to worship. Which is why the Sabbath became the most important day of worship for the Jewish people. Especially during Jesus' time period. And it had nothing to do with the temple. The temple was great. You could go up to the temple. But most people went up to the temple only once a year, twice a year, three times a year if you had the money. Most ordinary life is is in the village at, at home. And so what's the weekly rhythm of like in terms of worship? It was all about the Sabbath. Preparing for the Sabbath. Preparing your food before the Sabbath started. It says in the Bible you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. So you had to be prepared for the Sabbath in order to enjoy it. And it also became for them the day of worship. And most synagogue gatherings, actually all of them that we know of, took place on the Sabbath. So it had this other dimension. We're going to cease from working. We're going to enjoy our family and our friends and our food that we've already prepared. And we're going to go to the synagogue and worship. What ends up happening when you start exploring the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Very quickly, you can start asking the question, well, what day are we actually talking about here? Because in Judaism, as you probably know, Saturday is the Sabbath day. And from a technical point of view, that is correct. That's the way the calendar is set up. It goes day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, Shabbat. It's Saturday. So why is it that on our day of worship, we're sitting here on Sunday? And that's kind of a complicated question. It's a scholarly question. And I don't want to go into tremendous detail. But I, I do think it's worth exploring because when you start saying or suggesting, maybe you and I could benefit from keeping the Sabbath, you're one step away from saying, well, what do you mean? What day? When does it start? What do you mean by keep the Sabbath? What am I not allowed to do? What am I supposed to do? Are we worshiping on the wrong day or the right day? And you have some tension around Sundays and around Sabbath. So let me just address it this way. First of all, the early Christian community was Jewish. How do we know that? We know that from the New Testament. Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. If you read Acts, most of the early Christians are also Jewish and if not, they're connected to the Jewish community in some way as God-fearers um, or sometimes converts. So what we know about early Christianity is that they kept the Sabbath in terms of Saturday. Why? Because they're Jews. That's what they had been doing for centuries, keeping the Sabbath. But well, there's also evidence in the New Testament that their day of worship, though they may have worshipped on Shabbat or Saturday as well, took place on Sunday because it says in Acts that on the first day of the week, they gathered to break bread, to celebrate the love feast or communion, and probably to sing hymns or songs. Now why? Where did they come up with that idea? That's the day of Jesus' resurrection. It's really that simple. So probably early Christianity had both. Had a Sabbath day of rest, and they started worshiping on Sundays, and that became more formalized over time. Now eventually, the church looked very Gentile and not very Jewish because more and more Gentile converts started coming in. And so they sort of did away with the Sabbath 
Um, and there was this kind of a separation on both ends. Judaism and Christianity started to push against one another. And they sort of said, well, we, our day is Sunday, the Christians. And the Jewish people were saying, our day is Saturday. And it gave them a sense of, of separateness. And that was probably important for them at, at the time. Now, that doesn't really answer the question, which is the right day? Here is what I'd like to offer as, as, a, as a question more. First of all, there are two issues. The first is rest. The impulse for Shabbat, Sabbath, is to get off the treadmill. Six days a week you work, one day you stop. That's its root. Those are the roots. Regardless of what day is the right day or whatever, those are the roots. The point is to rest, to cease from ordinary work. Rest is one thing. The other question is almost separate. What's the right day of week of the week for worship? It's almost separate from, from the day that you rest. Because let's be honest, I mean, for, for me, on Sundays, that's also a work day for me. Correct? Well, you're like, oh, you only work two hours. Come on. <laughs> it's a work day. So it doesn't really answer the question for me personally, is there a time where I get off the treadmill and, and stop this constant motion of producing and making? So they're somewhat separate. And I, I want you to kind of keep them somewhat separate. Do you rest? In terms of answering Sunday, I have no problem that Christians meet on Sundays. I don't think it should be on a different day. Though I know other communities uh, will sometimes choose a different uh, day for worship. In, so, in some sense, I think that that's okay. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath because I think that will help. Turn to Mark chapter 2, please. Mark chapter 2. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but... Just briefly mention something. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some of the heads of grain. Now, if you are a, a, a Torah observant Jew, so to speak, this is would bring up alarm bells because it says in the Bible you cannot put a sickle to the grain. You know, a sickle, one of those curved blades. In other words, you can't harvest anything on the Sabbath. Now, what are they doing? Are they putting a sickle to the grain? No, they're using their hands. So they are teenagers, okay? They're like, well, uh, technically it says sickle, you know, okay? So Jesus tells an interesting story. He says, wait a minute. Consider what David did. He went in and ate some of the consecrated bread that he wasn't supposed to do, and he gave some to his own men. That's the story Jesus tells. And then notice this famous line, verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. This is Jesus' summary. What is the Sabbath? It is a gift. You are not a programmed spiritual machine that needs to keep the Sabbath in order to be complete. It's the other way around. You're a human being and the Sabbath has been given to you as a gift. The Sabbath was made for you. It's, it's, it's for your own health, well-being, and goodness. The problem with the Sabbath, though, is that as soon as you say, okay, it's a gift, great, you also say, start to think, well, what should I do or what can I not do on the Sabbath? And those are important questions. I mean, 
Those, and those are difficult questions to wrestle with. What should I do on the Sabbath or not do? You have to begin thinking about work. But Jesus helps us out here by saying it is a gift. This gift can very quickly lean into a kind of legalism. How many of you grew up in, in a kind of home environment where you weren't allowed to do certain things on Sundays? Okay? Now, without making a judgment, good or bad, many of us did. My, my dad, for example, he, he's from the Plymouth Brethren Church in Ireland. They have lots and lots of rules about the Sabbath, including one where you're allowed to exercise, but it can't be organized. So you can play sports, but it can't be organized sports. Now, in Ireland, the only thing you ever want to do is play cricket or soccer. So I don't know how they manage that, you know. I'm not passing it to my teammate, but to my brother in Christ, okay? But, and those, those, and those were the borders and, and boundaries, or, or the idea of mowing your lawn on Sunday, you know, or not mowing your lawn on Sunday, you know. That still exists in my neighborhood. When someone mows their lawn, you know, people are peering out their windows. Who is that? Pagan, Okay? I, I, all I would say about this, remember the Sabbath was made for you. It is a gift for your life. It's not the kind of thing that you're supposed to then use to judge other people. In fact, if you're judging on the Sabbath, you're working. <laughs> you're working pretty hard at being judgmental. So I think Jesus is inviting us to let go of some of that stuff. I don't think he's saying throw, throw everything out the window. I think he's saying throw your judgments out the window and turn it into a kind of personal question. If the Sabbath was made for me, for my own enjoyment, am I enjoying it or not? Let's not use that as a weapon then to judge other people. So I think Jesus helps us answer this sort of question. Now, as I was thinking about the sermon this week and talking about this and really trying to emphasize the Sabbath is not about doing but about being, Troy asked me an interesting question and I think it is a relevant and important question. What should I do in order to be? Because if you sort of buy it, oh yes, the, day, the, the Sabbath day is just about being present to my life, to creation, to God. What is it that I need to do in order to be? Which is kind of complex when you think about it because then suddenly then you're doing these five things in order to be. So it puts us in kind of a strange and, and kind of a tense place. The answer to this question is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is that you need to do in order to be, or if that's even a helpful way of looking at it. I do know the question matters. So here's what I'd like to offer as a suggestion. I think there are really three things that have helped me personally, and I think are important for us to consider. The first one is this. You have to name your work. You have, if you want to take the Sabbath seriously, name your work. What is work? Where does it begin and where does it end? If you have a job, nine to five, where does it begin, where does it end? If you are a stay-at-home parent, where does work begin and work end? It is very, very difficult to honestly name work. What is it in my life? Can I define it? What is it that I do? And, and, and the way we, we sometimes live, it, it also makes it problematic. I'm sure you know somebody that spends a lot of time talking about how busy they are. 
They're busy doing this. They're busy doing that. They're too busy to do this. They're too busy to do that. They're complaining about being too busy. Once you peer into their life a little bit, you realize most of their effort is in complaining about being too busy. Maybe not even really doing all that much, but feeling overwhelmed at all the things that need to be done and claiming to be too busy. And if you're like me, sometimes you use busyness as an excuse not to do anything in the first place. I'm sorry I can't do that thing because I'm too busy doing other things. If you're too busy, I'll say this as directly as I can, if you're too busy, it's your own fault. Even though busyness is the thing we blame on other people. My job, my boss, my relationships, my family, expectations, blah, blah, blah. Those are the problems over there. They make me too busy. You have chosen it. It's a hard thing to own up to that you have chosen your own state of busyness, whether you're really that busy or not. So that's, that's difficult business. That's part of, I think, what it means to lean into six days a week you shall work. Name your work. Name what it is that you're doing. What are the things that you're being asked to do? What qualifies as work? How many of you uh, spend a lot of time thinking about working <laughs> or the things that you need to do, but not very much time actually doing it? Sometimes it's just thinking about what needs to be done that consumes our time. I'm a home improvement person. I mean, you know, my house is 100 years old, so I always have to, like, do another project, which means I know exactly what to do. I'm going to go to Lowe's and get the stuff, and then I'm going to go to Lowe's 50 more times because I got the wrong things and somehow messed it up, and now a pipe is leaking and so forth and so on. So my big project over the last couple of years is finish the basement, all right? Totally gutted, down to nothing, build a bathroom and a laundry room, and this, these things take time. In the wa- and so finally, this past summer, it was done. I finished everything. The walls were up, the carpet was done, the tile, everything worked, except this one little space. I have a crawl space in my basement, and then there's the ordinary sort of full-size basement. And you need air to pass between the basement and the crawl space so your pipes don't freeze. So I knew that, and I cut a hole in the drywall. All right? That looks like a good place. Cut a hole. I'll get to that eventually, I thought. What that little hole needs is a little metal grate, like a register, to, so it looks more finished, rather than, hey, nice basement, but you have a hole in the wall. <laughs> but I started to think that it was going to be a major problem, because once I cut the hole, I was like, that's the wrong size. Nobody makes registers that are this particular size. This is going to be a major problem. So I started thinking about how I was going to solve this particular problem, and thinking about it. And how often did I think about it? Every day that I went down to the basement, which was every day of the week. There's my problem. I have a giant hole in there. This is going to be a big deal. I'd lay awake in bed thinking, now, wait a minute. Could I get this particular kind of resident? Oh, I don't know. Finally, and this is what we'll normally do it. We had some friends coming over. (laughs) So it's time to get serious. So finally, I went to Lowe's. I bought the register that I think would work. Went home. And I am not making this up. It took me exactly two minutes. I held it up there, screwed it in. I knew where the studs were. I put the studs there. Oh, looks all right. Done. After five months of thinking that this was going to be a problem. I'm telling you, thinking can be as much of a problem 
as working can be. So the next one up here is your conscious and unconscious noise. So it's one thing to name your work, but what's the noise that fills up your life 24 hours a day, seven days a week? It's probably your phone and text messages and email and Facebook and Twitter and social media, the stuff that you just feed on every single day, checking text messages at 11 p.m. on Saturday night that are work-related. And this is considered acceptable and normal, that there are no breaks, we should be always available no matter what, and it can take over your life. And I know it's taking over your life because I see you from time to time checking your phones while I'm talking. It is hard work to name your conscious and your unconscious noise. But if you're going to enjoy the Sabbath, you have to examine some of these things. You have to examine these patterns that keep coming up week after week, day after day, so forth and so on. Do you ever get a break? By the way, it it doesn't have to be social media you know, and your phone. It could also just be the news. Some of you are news junkies. Like for me, it's the weather. Okay, especially this spring, like I had a serious problem. I, would, I was angry at Bill Steffen and his <laughs> forecasts as if he was choosing it. And I was like going to other sites, eight-day forecasts is enough. I need a 10-day, you know. And then I'm literally Googling 20-day forecasts, Western Michigan. There must be some good news somewhere. But just as if, as if that's really going to help me, just a constant noise, conscious, and you have to ask what your work is and what is the noise that fills your life. And the final question is very simple. What is it that you can cease from? What would ceasing look like? And it is not, uh, uh, it is not an easy question. What would ceasing look like? Once you think you have named your work, which is hard enough, You've recognized your conscious and unconscious patterns. What would it look like to cease? What would it look like to turn off that device? What would it look like? And those are hard decisions. And sometimes they're personal. Sometimes it's something you have to do with your friends and your family, your spouse, your kids. But I'm afraid if you don't do it, you're never going to enjoy the Sabbath as a gift. It's just going to be one day is no different than any other. And I might as well be on the treadmill 24 hours a day until I die. I'm going to walk into my grave. That is not a full human life. And that's what the Bible is inviting us into. Into a Sabbath rest. It is a gift. But one that you have to do some work in order to lean into. What I want to do now... What we want to do as a community is is celebrate communion, a meal, which is fitting because in in Jewish tradition, it's the Friday night meal, the Sabbath meal, where you enjoy the good food that you've already prepared. It's the time where the Sabbath begins. So in one sense, we're coming forward, enjoying this bread and this cup, this meal that's already been prepared as an invitation to rest in God. Let's pray. Dear God, we find the invitation of the Sabbath, this ancient practice, to be very challenging. Help us to see it as an invitation, as a gift, as a good thing. Help us to ask the hard questions. What is work in my life? What what is my unconscious and my conscious noise? What would it look like to cease? 
Give us some courage to set aside the treadmill once a week and lean into a different reality, to not be named only by things that we do, but also to allow being, to allow rest, to allow for enjoyment. Thank you that we can gather together and take this bread, which represents the body of Christ, and this blood, and uh, this cup, which represents the blood, to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, and to rest in the gift that has already been given. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.